So um, I'll offer a few words this morning, this afternoon, or this evening, whatever it is for you. So as human beings we have this um, living experience and that is dominated just by being aware. If we're not aware, we're not with that experience. Um, And this awareness can be seen as having two particular facets to it. We're aware of sights, sounds, touches, thoughts. These are definite this is called vijnana, you're conscious of something, you're conscious of an object, you're conscious of a sound, you're conscious of a sight. With that sense of being conscious of, there's the experience of being somebody who is conscious of something out there. There's two. There's the seer and the seeing, and the act of seeing. Consciousness establishes the object and the subject. Right? And naturally when that occurs, the sense of the subject is affected by the objects which are coming and going, changing, and looking for a comfortable object, which unfortunately, sights, sounds, touches, so forth, they they come and go. So we don't find that. Therefore we search for a mental object, such as a, a belief or an idea, or a system, or something we can hold in our minds. And this causes rise to certain fixation and um, narrow-mindedness. As we know, if people become dogmatic, fixated on a particular set of ideas, everything else is wrong, so on. And you can recognise that you know, the amount of ideas there are now in the world, the amount of information there is beyond anyone's capacity to have all this. So what we know about the realm of mental objects is they're vast, infinitely expanding, you can't manage them. And if you fixate on one, you have to discard the rest. So if you fixate on geology, then you ignore psychology. If you fixate on, on <laughs> you know, on economics, you tend to ignore spirituality, yeah? So because that's mental consciousness, take objects, and there's so many of them, you can't cover them all. If you hold on to one set, you become rather blind and opinionated because you see everything from that particular perspective. And this, of course, is the same with religious views and opinions. You will get dogmatic and even to the point of violence around a particular idea <clears throat> and aspects you know for example if you're some countries if a woman's not wearing a veil this is considered a hideous sin and that could be a source of considerable violence other places it doesn't seem to matter at all so what's true <laughs> you know whatever you fixate upon becomes true because it's a fixation and your truth depends upon a fixation. Your sense of solidity, conformity, orthodoxy, rightness depends upon fixating on a particular thought, impression, dogma, belief, ritual, and so on. And that means anybody who doesn't do it is wrong. 
and then it sets up this immense discord and violence in the world. Yeah, mental objects. Fortunately, we have another aspect which we might call the inner quality of consciousness, the sense that we are aware. Yeah. Uh, it has no particular object to it. It's just yeah, the sound, the sight, this touch, this thought, this feeling, the subtle is imagination, there's love, there's compassion, there's anger, there's joy, there's anxiety, all these kind of various forms that happen. But the very quality of being conscious isn't any of these. It's aware of these phenomena in a receptive way. And if we focus on that quality rather than the objects, there's a different experience, it's a different way of living comes around. One feels open, sensitive, attuned, noticing. And noticing particularly how things move and change. This inner quality of consciousness is called chitta, heart, simple word heart, you could call it awareness, because it's sensitive and receptive, but it also has a knowingness to it. It's, it's aware. We know we're feeling something. It's because it's not fixated on a particular object at all. But what it's aware of in that process of being conscious of it is these things are moving and changing. Because we're not receiving them through fixating on the point, we're receiving them through being sensitive to the qualities of their moving, their changing. Uh, and through that process, we begin to discern this quality feels kind of harsh. This one feels sort of soft. This one feels like just aimless, drifting. This one feels clear, cooling. And this is very important knowledge to have because it's the knowledge that facilitates our own well-being, our own ethical sensitivity, our sense of relationship to others. It helps to check what we're doing and saying through being sensitive to the effects it has in one's heart. This is absolutely crucial. This is chitta. And chitta is not aware of objects, it's aware of movements. So these movements are called sankhara. The tidal flows. Just as when we feel a sense of interest, it flushes up, we flush up, we get quite bright, it sustains itself and then maybe it moves on. It's a tidal flow. We feel annoyed by something, it escalates, it builds up, you know, and then maybe at a certain point we resolve it and it sort of fades away. So these are movements, sankara movements. And the kind of attention that you, you need in order to discern a movement is much more open, wider. Attention on a point only catches a fraction of that. Mm -hmm. awareness of the whole thing captures the movement, the swelling the arising, the passing, the changing and also the direction it's going to when that movement is sustained it takes me to a place of bitterness oh check that one 
When this one is sustained, it takes me to a place of coolness and ease. Uh -huh. So we witness a process of changing movements rather than a particular discrete phenomenon. This very much affects what we experience meditation as being. And by and large, what I've noticed in many meditators is the sense in which they try to fixate the mind upon a particular object, characteristically on the nostrils when they're breathing. Yeah. And then they say this is called concentration. And yeah, that's one way of explaining it. Uh, but it isn't what the Buddha taught. He didn't ever say concentrate on a particular object. He never said concentrate on your nostrils, your belly. He never said concentrate on anything. He used the word mindfulness to mean you notice something and then notice how it's affecting you. Such as you see mindfulness of death, you see a dead body. You don't just look, study the bones and look at the fingernails. You go, wow, dead body, oof, that's going to happen to this, right? So that's not a point, is it? That's sensing the whole thing and what the thing means, taking it in and sympathising with it, getting the effect. And it gives rise to dispassion. That's a movement, a movement of heart. That's a movement of intelligence where you, you begin to let your mind flow over something and get the effect, and feel the effect of it. Mindfulness of Buddha, Buddha Nusati, you pick up the thought or the impression in the image of Buddha, you're not just focusing on a particular point, the fingers, the back, the head, the sense of awakening. It's an overall perception. You tune into that. You rest upon it. You linger in it. Awakening. Awakening. What does that feel like? It's not about becoming something. It's not about getting something. It's about opening to, waking up. Oh, you get the effect of that. Breathing, mindfulness of breathing, you don't focus on a point. The Buddha never told us to focus on a point. He said, he never said watch the breath. He said be mindful of the process of breathing in and breathing out. And breathing in and breathing out. That's a movement, correct? Now what kind of attention do you need to follow a movement. I would suggest that if you step back, you can feel the movement flowing through, and your mind, your attention remains very steady, very stable, spacious, cool. You're not tightening up, you're not pressing into the thing, you're receiving the impression of it. The heart is open, the impression of something that's given, freely given, operates by itself is involuntary, is calming and refreshing, the impression of that is very comfortable. And this is why the Buddha taught it. He said this is because this is a comfortable thing that everybody does. Every physical body does this breathing thing. So let's just enjoy it. <laughs> and then the stress and the anxiety and the tension of your mind will begin to relax because you're getting this enjoyable impression running through it. That's receptivity. Now that wholeness of experience, of the whole experience, helps to remove the tendency that attention has 
attention has the tendency to ignore 90%. <laughs> you know, like if, if, you, if you have your eyes open, right, and you notice what can you see with your eyes, you might see, I see the trees, I see the wall, I see the picture, the photographs, see the computer screen. What do you actually see is about this much? And then actually, but you can also widen it to include this. That's all seeable. But to really get something in consciousness, reduce it to an object. This means I ignore the rest of it. This is the thing I'm interested in, the rest of it I ignore. That's consciousness, right? Tactile consciousness, I get the feeling in my finger, I don't notice what's happening in my feet. I don't notice what's happening in my back. The more I concentrate on this particular point, the rest of things disappear. Right? So attention means you focus on one point and ignore the rest. Now that would be a good idea if what you're focusing on was actually supremely blissful and fulfilling. But the truth of the matter is, it isn't. <laughs> you know, if, if say breathing was by itself was fulfilling, then we could just fixate on the breathing, but it isn't. The Buddha never said that either. He said it's a pathway to realizing these enlightened factors such as mindfulness, energy, happiness and joy, calm and tranquility and equanimity. That's not a breath. That's the mind, isn't it? That's the heart, that's the chitta. So if we focus on an object to such intensity that we don't even notice the chitta, then we're missing the point. Chitta is a receptivity to that. How is this affecting me? How is this affecting? And again, here we have this recommendation um, for touch points called Sampajano. Is this comfortable? Is it suitable? Does I feel settled with this? So that's a hard question. Is it contextually appropriate? So if I'm fixating on a particular point in my hand and actually meanwhile, you know, I'm having problems with other parts of my body, or I'm fixating on a point on my breath, and I'm not, and I'm ignoring my sense of regret or anger over something that happened yesterday. Maybe my attention is actually taking me off what should be really realised. Right? So we can then use meditation to avoid fully coming to terms with what's happening in our hearts. And if I have actually done skillfully, then I think it's appropriate I should find some time to listen up to this heart and say, okay, that does, yes, that is unskillful. I want to attend to it. I don't want to meditate to ignore it. I want to meditate in order to more steadily sense what's concerning me. Right? If attention then takes you out of that, it's not skillful. 
So when we maintain that wider sense of awareness and sensitivity, you can sense, okay, there's a body that's breathing, uh-huh. feeling that, it's getting steadily by that. And then, how, how is this? And we might notice, oh, there's some agitation somewhere. And then, ah, oh, in the back of my mind is anxiety, which I didn't notice because normally my attention is so fixated on what I'm doing, I don't really notice what's happening in my heart. But then if I keep it lighter, it's just using the breathing to steady, soothe, cause the heart to open, I can notice, yes, there's anxiety. Oh, there's irritation. Oh, mm-hmm. this is important. The next thing is having done so, can we turn freely towards those qualities of anxiety or uncertainty or irritation from a place of sympathetic awareness? Right? Feels like this. Anxiety feels like this. Don't be frightened of it. Don't try to close it down. Don't try to get away from it. Instead, extend that steady, cool center with a quality of love towards these disagreeable sankharas. It doesn't mean you like them or approve of them, but you're offering a soothing, steadying, sympathetic awareness of these contents of our emotional disposition or emotional inheritance and this way you allow these emotions to come up you're not caught in them you're not shutting them down not even trying to explain them or justify them but you're finding a way in which you can allow sense those and let those unravel and then the heart is increasingly relieved from the pressure of its emotional um, coverings. As we all know, everything that we sense, uh, if it touches us, there's some emotional response to that. That's the way we are. The problem occurs when that emotional response, instead of just arising in the situation, that is, that is, that is, anxiety, that is disturbing, I've noticed that, I've come to terms with that, I've sensed that, Uh I've released that, these emotions get stuck because we didn't give that time, that spaciousness to allow the emotion to pass through. Instead we just, never mind, do something else. We don't want to be with uncomfortable emotions, do something else. So what happens is you get a build-up of unprocessed emotional residues of regret, anxiety, something wrong with me, I've made a mistake, I'm a bad person, and so forth, that, that sit there and they become they become the blueprint of, an, of your identity. Whereby one is always feeling there's something wrong with me and I'm sorry. And from just because of One has not released the sense of anxiety or fear or regret, which we all experience at some time or another. 
Is it possible to be open to those qualities, let them pass through, then understand? And what was the source of that anxiety or regret? Now, if it's a valid truth, we might say, okay, then I won't do that again. But if it's just because the world itself is a threatening, frightening place, which it definitely can be, then instead of calling this myself, I realize I'm in a world that is extremely fallible. I need to protect myself and my integrity and my steadiness through understanding the anxieties that arise dependent upon global warfare, economic conflict, climate breakdown, you name it, violence all over the planet. Ha! Huh. I don't need to take that in. I need to find a cool place that can manage this process of being affected by disagreeable sights and impressions. Yeah. And that's not going to be through reacting to them or by turning my attention to something else. Turning my attention to something else does not relieve the emotional pressure of being in a crazy world. It just diverts us from it for a while. Maybe we think that's all we can do. You know, just read a book, switch on a, switch on a movie. That gets me out of the problems. No, it doesn't. It just puts it in a can, leaves it stuck in your heart. So this process is a kind of cleansing process and we should approach it like that. Yeah. And it's like every day we clean our bodies, every day we clean our teeth, probably every day you clean your house. How about your heart? Isn't that important? And you don't clean it by antiseptic or scouring powder, you clean it through sympathetic awareness, opening it up, not fixating, not hiding, not blaming, not reacting, you know, not creating a self out of it, but just realizing the energies, the sankharas that are present, sensitive to them, recognizing them, being patient with them, ex extending sympathy to them, so they can unfold move on. One does not hold them as oneself. One finds this quiet centre within, which is your refuge. And as our life moves on, the ageing comes in, degeneration comes in, loss of sense faculties comes in. Sense consciousness is not going to do you much good in the end. What you have to meet the fading out of sense consciousness, the inability to control things, the loss of comprehension, yeah, separation from that known. Yeah? And with this practice, you can, because you know your true refuge goes beyond this realm of sense consciousness. And there is no other way to release yourself from death birth, sorrow, pain. So, this is the practice, this is the encouragement, and um, translate your experiences into some of these very fundamental emotions. Ask yourself, how, how am I today? 
Am I really happy or is something bothering me? Keep wide. Ask slowly. Notice what's bothering you. Don't push it away. Find a way to approach that sensitively. Be with it. Be with it like it's a struggling creature. Allow it to come out, express itself and move on. You'll become greater, stronger, clearer and happier through that process. This is why the Buddha taught it. So, I hope this has been of some use to you, friends.